Hi, I'm Tracy Koga, and thanks for downloading this podcast from ilikehugh.com. If you can, give us a follow or subscribe. And remember that all the information about the guests in today's episode can be found at ilikehugh.com. Now, let's get started. Tracy Koga with something short and fun. This is a Hugh soundbite. going to be a little different because we first want to talk about your parents right who went through the internment uh, you were born after it and then also all of your humanitarian and philanthropic work that you have done for the Japanese Canadian community here specifically in Manitoba mm-hmm. so on that note let's talk about your mom and dad their okay. history well you know uh, my mom and dad uh, started off in uh, uh, BC. My dad had emigrated to uh, the West Coast from Japan uh, when he was 19 years old, and he had originally come uh, to help an uncle in the Lower Fraser Valley who was farming. And then after that, he pursued his field of uh, study, which was carpentry. And he ended up working in a sawmill in uh, the Lower Fraser Valley. And then my parents got married. My mother is, uh, is, was born in Eburn, B.C., which is part of now uh, the Vancouver International Airport. And uh, she lived uh, her early adult years in Steveston, which is, again, mm-hmm. a very popular place for people to travel to. Uh, she worked in the canneries, and she met my dad, and they got married in November of 1936. And then four years uh, later, they... I uh, had my sister, Atsumi, who was born in 1940, and in 1942, um, they were uh, placed and forced into the internment camp. And from there, I, I mean, the Japanese are very stoic, and they don't like to show pain or emotion very often, but the internment was a very terrible, terrible time. It was, a, it was a time of injustice, of uh, violations of human rights, and ultimately it was um, a time of racial discrimination, uh, racial unrest. Uh, there was a tremendous um, feeling in BC uh, against Asians and other people of minority. And so uh, the Japanese, in BC had prospered in farming and in 
uh, fishing, and uh, this was um, viewed as something that other BCers did not want to see. And part of the uh, racial discrimination was against many people in the Japanese community who had prospered and had tried to make uh, a community of their own, uh, mainly in uh, the Powell Street area of Vancouver and Steveston. Um, lots of uh, different activities happening in those areas. Uh, because they did not have citizenship rights, uh, they were denied a lot of uh, health benefits, educational benefits, and they were also denied entry into some university uh, faculties. Um, and life was very uh, constricted in some ways for the Japanese Canadians who were facing a lot of uh, racial prejudice from other people in BC. And so did they eventually move out east, I guess? Well, there was a moratorium in BC. There was nobody allowed back into their homes on the, low, on the uh, west coast of BC within the 100-mile coast of, uh, of BC. So uh, the choice was at the end of the internment that uh, you could go back to Japan or you could go east of the Rockies. Now, many of the people in the internment were born in Canada, did not know Japan, uh, were certainly familiar with their ancestral roots, but had never lived in Japan. And so the offer of uh, moving to Japan was, uh, was quite a contradiction for a lot of people. And then let's fast forward then to you being born in Winnipeg. What was life then as a child growing up here? Well, you know, initially my parents were uh, offered a home outside of the city of Winnipeg. Winnipeg had a moratorium as well, that they did not allow Japanese people to uh, live in Winnipeg following uh, the end of the war in 1945-46. And so my parents lived uh, in the uh, rural areas of Winnipeg uh, off of McPhillips uh, by, um, in a home, in a homestead of a very lovely Ukrainian couple who uh, offered their home and offered uh, help and assistance to settle into Winnipeg. In 1950, my father, uh, as a result of his carpentry uh, background, was able to uh, secure uh, some financial backing from a, a tremendously uh, respectful and generous uh, Winnipeg businessman who helped my father get started in his own business of Kawada Construction. And my, at that time, my father built our family home in East Kildonan, and we settled there. And my mother became the uh, sort of receptionist, bookkeeper, everybody looking after the family business. And uh, my father uh, became a very successful contractor uh, building custom-made homes. So what was the Japanese community like in those times after the war, after the internment? I mean, your, your father sounds like he made such a great success. Well, you know, the Japanese community is, uh, is you know, remarkable in so many ways, uh, following uh, a tremendous uh, four years in internment and on the sugar beet farms in Manitoba. Um, 
they were very resilient and wished to move forward and to make a community and a life for their families and to make uh, the community a vibrant and joyous one to live in. So my father and other uh, Japanese Canadian builders uh, built the Manitoba Buddhist Church, which be became a focal uh, place for worship and for fellowship and community building. There was also Knox United Church, which was the only um, church outside of the Buddhist church that welcomed uh, the Japanese uh, community into their congregation. And that changed ha happily. It changed over time. Uh, my father and Tom Mitani, uh, another really uh, strong community builder, founded the Manitoba Judo Club and my father served as president at some point. He also, because of his uh, support and financial uh, donations, um, many other things, he, judo was a lifetime interest of my father's. And uh, in the mid-60s, I think it was, that my father was granted an honorary black belt. And other things, you know, in terms of social things, my dad was quite the performer. He loved to, um, you know, perform in, in different um, sort of like samurai plays and things like that. So our place was often a place where people would congregate and, and, and rehearse their plays and, and then perform at the concert. We used to have concerts in the um, Polish Hall on Selkirk Avenue and people would sing and dance. I used to, I was quite young then, and I used to be a tap dancer. And, uh, and I remember George Fukumura was a singer, and Jack uh, Okimura was, uh, he was also a performer. And uh, so many, oh, and I have to mention Grace Koga, because she's sort of related to you. Uh, she was a lovely singer as well as Sue Oike. And so we came together in social ways, creating places for people to enjoy each other and, and, uh, and form and create a, a, a place that we all felt like we belonged and that we uh, had fellowship amongst each other. And the concerts were one place that so many people came to. The Manitoba Japanese Canadian Citizens Association, which was the original um, uh, newsletter of the community, you know, that also was a place where people heard about other people in the community, who was getting married, who had a baby, uh, where there was some entertainment. Uh, and it was also, you know, political news to sort of let people know uh, the Bird Commission was on at that time. And uh, so people uh, uh, were very interested in what was happening in terms of compensation for their property. And uh, there was a lot of things just beginning in the 1950s. And uh, it was really a time of building and creating uh, a community that everybody could participate in and could enjoy each other, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, was a, uh, it was a really... Um, joyous and celebratory time. That's, you know, so wonderful to hear. And then moving forward, let's talk about your personal interest in redress and what that meant to all Japanese Canadians in 1988. 
Well, you know, most of the people that experienced the internment were either first or second generation Japanese Canadians. And following the relocation across Canada for all the people who had been in internment, there was somewhat of a silence that happened. Uh, and it was um, a reluctance to share the story of the internment experience with their families. Uh, they, they wanted to move on. And there's a Japanese uh, philosophy called gambari. And, and that sort of means that you persevere under dire circumstances. You do the best you can and you move on. And that basically is what a lot of people did. They felt that, you know, to relive the trauma and the experience uh, was, was not productive for them or their families. And I think we've come a long way in terms of, uh, you know, when we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder and, and we're more, as a society, more willing and open to talk about what kind of traumas people experience in mm -hmm. war and that we that they don't have to hide, they do not have to suffer alone. But in those days, you know, the Japanese Canadians were, were very silent about their experience. And in 1977, in this centennial year, um, the Japanese Canadians of uh, the national organization felt a need and felt a, a, a calling to do something about the wrongs that had and injustices that had been committed during the World War II. And so there was a commitment to move on to a campaign. And uh, in 1984, uh, Art Mickey was uh, um, positioned as the NHAC president and began a very active campaign uh, of the redress movement. And in Manitoba, uh, you know, because Art lives here, <laughs> and we all got to know a lot of things uh, firsthand what was mm -hmm. happening and uh, every province had a uh, redress committee uh, to to spread news and to gather people together to inform them about what was happening and all the different activities that were needed to to put together a, a, a national campaign and so I became very interested in, in being a part of that uh, my background is social work and uh, I, I felt a tremendous uh, pull and, and desire to be a part of something that was going to make a difference, not only for Japanese Canadians. Canada is a, demo a democratic society. Mm -hmm. We needed to right the wrongs that had been committed in the past and, uh, and to, to support uh, people who had been um, experiencing all these uh, different, ex different traumas. And so um, I became quite interested in the, the uh, redress movement and uh, became a part of uh, the local Manitoba uh, campaign. And then I continued to be a part of the NAJC as the Manitoba representative for the Human Rights Committee because the Human Rights Committee was then established after the redress settlement in 1988. Our mission was to not only uh, educate and uh, become aware of our own community's needs in the area of, uh, of trauma, in the area of understanding uh, 
the, the violations and the, the wrongs that had been committed, but also to assist other organizations and communities that were, uh, you know, struggling also to, to do a campaign and to um, make their communities and the rest of us in Canada understand what had happened. And in uh, 2008, I became uh, one of the presidents of the uh, National Association of Japanese Canadians. I served on the board for six years, and uh, I've, I've always been involved on the, with them on one way or another. Right now, I am the election chair of the NHAC. When you're on an organization like this, Tarumi, you get a broader scope, right? Mm -hmm. Across the country. Where do you see the Japanese Canadians today? Well, you know, we are a very mixed group, you know, uh, in terms of, uh, of uh, ethnicity. Um, we probably, uh, and I don't know if I'm correct in this, but likely we are the one ethnic group that has the highest interracial marriage. Uh, and I think it's somewhere like 96% or something. <laughs> uh, I myself am married to uh, my husband, Ron, who is, uh, who is not Japanese. Uh, my two brother-in-laws, um, uh, I'm sorry, my one other brother-in-law and my sister-in-law are also not Japanese. I have one brother-in-law who is, <laughs> and we all loved him. Um, unfortunately, he's passed, but uh, again, a, uh, a pillar of the, of the society and of the community. Yes, so, so well said. And I guess maybe in closing, if your dad was here today, of course he would have told his story, but what do you think he would say after all of this looking back at his life? Towards the end of his life, he, he had... He said he had one regret. My father was a very business-oriented uh, person. He was also community-minded. He was busy all the time. He never took a break. So one of the things he said that he had a regret about was that he regretted that he didn't spend more time at the beach with his children. Oh. So I think if he were here today, I think one of the things he would say to, to, to people, not only now but in the future, he would say, do the best you can be, do the best you can always be, and always remember your loved ones. Well, thank you so much, Tarumi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs>
do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.